I thank God this morning, amen, to give him praise, to give him glory, to give him honor. Hallelujah. We lifted up prayer, amen. We sang praise songs to his name. We sang worship songs to his name. And now here comes the part that really convicts the soul, and that is the word of God. Hallelujah. So as we come this morning, amen, we come excited, amen, to be Christians. Amen. Thank you. Amen. We come uh, excited, hallelujah, to be able to stand in the most holy this morning and to be able to share God's word with God's people. Amen. Because this is a mighty word. Amen. That God has entrusted with mere men, normal, natural men. As Paul said, I am the chiefest of sinners. Amen. And what Paul was really saying, his mind was confounded by the fact that God would use, did use him after all that he had done. We must remember that Paul was Saul of Tarsus. Hallelujah. That Saul of Tarsus was a Christian persecutor. Amen. Someone who would have Christians beat. Hallelujah. He got letters from the king that he would go and subdue Christians. Amen. And put them in jail and even murder them. Hallelujah. He was standing there when they stoned Stephen. So Paul and I stand with the same sentiment this morning. God, how could you use somebody like me who is the chiefest of sinners? Hallelujah. But I thank God this morning for his love and his grace and his mercy. I thank God this morning for his awesome power. I thank God this morning that he woke me up and put me in my right mind. I thank God this morning that he started me on my way. I just give God glory and honor for everything that he is doing in my life. And I pray to God that my life could help somebody along the way. I try to live my life in such a way that people would know that I am different. Hallelujah. I try to live my life in such a way to where people may uh, be attracted uh, to the word of God through my life. Amen. That people would want to try to do better in their lives. Amen. Uh, that young people would have someone to emulate. Amen. That someone would have somebody to be a mentor. Amen. And I just thank God this morning. Amen. That he took me out of the bucket mile of sin. Hallelujah. At my age, uh, there are many, many people at my age that are still dibbling and dabbling and running in and out of places and sneaking and sliding and peeping and hiding. I just thank God this morning that that's not my life anymore. Anybody out there can thank God this morning that you can live a comfortable life and you don't have to peep over your shoulder to see who's coming to get you. You can sleep all night long without nobody knocking on the door. The telephone is not constantly ringing. I thank God this morning, hallelujah, that I even have successful children that serve God, hallelujah. They believe in working. They're buying homes. They're raising their children. They're staying married. I thank God. I don't deserve none of it. But I thank him this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Let me not get too excited and get off track. Amen. I want to be able to share with you what God has shared with me. Amen. God placed this word in my heart. Hallelujah. As I sat and thought about and contemplated all week long and God placed this word in my heart. And as we come together, and as Isaiah said, as we come together and reason with one another, I want us to use for a thought this morning, and I actually not only a thought, I would like if we would all do this today. Ask your heart. Ask your heart. We've been raised in this country of America, a land that was started on lies, a land that has been lying since day one of its establishment. But one thing I realized as I grew up about lying, that you could lie to everybody around you. But you can't lie to yourself. You can outside, but inside, you know the truth. Ask your heart. And a few years ago, during our spiritual warfare seminar, we still teach spiritual warfare here at Sabbath Rest. Because we are in a spiritual battle. 
And as we were doing spiritual warfare uh, a few years ago, one of the books that we used to prove some of our points was a book called Shadow Boxing by Mr. Henry Malone. And whenever we use someone else's material, we should uh, give a disclaimer that uh, there is a reference point that we're using. And I don't want to take credit for any of this today. I, I want to be honest and, and, and give Mr. Malone uh, his credit. Because I feel that that was some pertinent information written in that book, Shadowbox. And any of you who are uh, wanting to know more about spiritual warfare, it is a good book to start with. It's written in layman's terms, that way everybody can understand it. And in shadow boxing, uh, one of the things that, uh, one of the chapters uh, is called the five open doors. Five doors in our lives, or actually in our hearts, that we leave open. And Mr. Malone said that when we leave these five doors open, or in other words, when we still have these things going on in our lives, we've left the door open to give Satan, the enemy, the adversary, the dragon, the thief, Baal, Belzebub, we know him as a lot of different names. But when we leave these five doors open in our lives, we give him legal access. The enemy is what is defined in spiritual warfare. The enemy is an intruder. He intrudes into our lives. Sometimes you can be minding your own business trying to do everything right and then boom, somebody kicked the door in. That's an intruder. But what we found out by reading this book that one of the things that I want to talk about today uh, under the auspice of Ask Your Heart. I want to look at that open door that Mr. Malone talked about out of the five. I want to look at number two, which is Unforgiveness. And I want you to ask your heart today. Don't ask your brain. Ask your heart. And I'm going to explain heart in a minute. Ask your heart. Are you harboring any unforgiveness? And only your heart would know because that's where we hide things at. Things that we don't want nobody else to know, things that we want to keep secret, we'll uh, talk to our heart and say, heart, hide this from me. And whenever you and your heart are alone, you can muddle over those things that you're holding in your heart without anyone else knowing. And a lot of us have a multitude, a multiplicity of unforgiveness in our hearts. And unforgiveness is a major blessing blocker. I'm going to say that again. Unforgiveness is a major blessing blocker. God could be wanting to do some things for you. But he can't. The Bible says that if we do not forgive each other, God cannot. It didn't say that he would not. It says that he cannot forgive us until we let go of unforgiveness ourselves. So it's our unforgiveness that's precluded, that's precluded God from forgiving us. Unforgiveness is a major blessing marker in our lives and it gives the devil legal access into your life. Let's look at Psalm 66 real quick. Psalm 66. And in Psalm 66, we'll notice the psalmist in this psalm is coming to God with an open heart. This psalm is a song to the chief musician. A song and a song of David. And I do uh, hope that you are aware of that. Psalms, P S A L M, a song, a lot of them are actually song 
songs, S-O-N-G-S, that David would put to music. We understand that David was a musician. He was a harpist. And in that 66th song, it starts off by saying in verse 1, Make a joyful noise unto God, all ye land. And in Christendom today, that's what we call praise songs and shouting hallelujah when we are able to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. He says, sing forth the honor of his name and make his praise glorious. And for the sake of time, I want to get down to the punchline, which is actually at the end of the chapter. And I want to start at verse 16 of Psalm 66, and he says, Come and hear, all ye that fear God, and not fear being scared of God, but fear reverencing God. And he continues on, and he says, And I will declare what he has done for my soul. Hallelujah. And at 17th verse, he says, I cried unto him with my mouth, and he extolled or lifted up my tongue. And in that 18th verse, I, I wanted to read this to you today because he says that if I regard iniquity in my heart, hallelujah, I want to read that again to you. He says, but if I regard or give place to, make room for, dwell on iniquity in my heart, he says that the Lord will not hear him. But verily, verse 19, he says, but verily God has heard me. And what he's letting us know is that there is no iniquity in his heart at this time. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. In verse 20, he says, blessed be God, which has not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. And I want to go ahead and stick to that 18th verse. He says, if, I want to make it first person right now, and I want you to do the same out there. If you are listening to me right now, uh, forget that David wrote this song, and let's say that this is you writing this song, and you are coming now to God and saying, God, if I regard iniquity in my heart, and I want us to stop right there momentarily. And I want us to think and contemplate and be honest with ourselves. What is it that you are hiding in your heart? Don't tell your neighbor, don't look around the room and talk to your children at this point. This is all you. What is it that you are regarding that could be considered iniquity? And I want you to understand that unforgiveness is a sin. This is why he can't forgive us until we forgive each other. And him, because a lot of us are angry and harboring unforgiveness towards God in our hearts. Why do you say that, preacher? Well, human nature is this. When you really enjoy something, you make every effort to make sure that you practice or participate in that event or program or whatever it is that you enjoy doing, whatever activity that it is that you enjoy doing, we try to make sure we do that thing as much as possible because actually enjoyment comes from the dopamine of the enzyme, the chemical that's released by our brain. It's called our pleasure enzyme. So anytime we're doing something that we love doing, the brain releases dopamine and your body says, oh yeah. So what is it in your life that you love doing that when you do it and you feel comfortable? That your body, your soul, your mind says, oh yeah, I'm living the life. For men, a lot of times it's playing or watching sports. I know a lot of times women wonder, how can he sit there and watch four football games? We watch the early game at noon. We watch the 3 o'clock game. We watch the game that come on at night, and then we'll watch Monday night football. We'll watch Thursday night football. What is it about football that releases dopamine in the brain of a man 
yeah. I can sit in front of this TV all day long. Hallelujah. Women, some women love to go shopping. Men hate shopping, but what is it about shopping that releases dopamine in a woman's brain to where she don't even want to buy anything? She just loves walking around the store looking at things, and, but it releases dopamine in your brain and your body says, oh, yeah, I'm living life. So what is it that's being hit in your heart that could be considered iniquity? Why, of course, I use those examples. There's no sin in watching football, no sin in shopping unless we overdoing it. Amen. But I just wanted to use those examples to let you in on a secret about yourself that whenever you're doing anything that you like, it's only because your brain releases dopamine, which is our pleasure enzyme. So he says, if we are regarding iniquity in our hearts, that God will not hear us. And uh, you, you might not want to raise your hand. You might not want to say amen. You might not want to shout hallelujah at this point. But there are some of us who are coming to the conclusion that I've been praying and praying and falling on my face, prostrating. I've been crying out to God and it seems like nothing is happening. I want you to consider this. I'm not saying absolutely that's what it is. But I want you to consider the fact that it may be that you are hiding iniquity in your heart and God cannot hear your prayers. This is the word of God. That's why I don't know if you notice here at Sabbath rest. I take my time sometimes and I read a whole book. Because I want you to see that this is the word of God and not just something that I want to get up here and take it. That every now and then when feel as though God is not listening we may be regarding iniquity or sin in our heart. Let's go to Matthew. Let's go to Matthew chapter 18. Hallelujah. Ain't nothing wrong with a little teaching, teaching the Bible in church. Amen. Hallelujah. Preaching is good, but teaching is better. Hallelujah. And then the New Testament gospel according to Matthew in that 18th verse uh, sorry the 18th chapter the 21st verse Peter and Jesus are having a conversation in that 21st verse in the 18th chapter of the gospel according to Matthew the Bible says then came Peter to him and said Lord how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Let's deal with that first question. Peter wanted to know from Jesus, the Son of God, the one who has all truth in him. Peter comes to the Lord and he says, Lord, how many times? Shall someone offend me or sin against me? And I forgive them. And Peter asked another question. He says, seven times? And we understand that in the Hebrew culture, number seven is the number of perfection. Number seven is the number of completion. So Peter being the Jew that he was, he understood that if he would forgive somebody seven times, that that would be perfect enough or acceptable enough to God. The only problem with putting a number on how many times we're going to forgive somebody, what if they offend you one time more than that? In verse 22, Jesus said unto him, I say unto thee, until seven times? We understand that we have some mathematical geniuses in the house today and 70 times 7 is 490. And Peter thought that that was awesome within itself because if someone was to offend me 490 times and, 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 and the word is used in its original text, it has a connotation of perpetualism. It has a, con a connotation of never ending. 
It's really a, it's really a Hebrew idiom uh, of 490 times because the question would become, what if somebody offended you 491 times? Is there a limit on forgiveness? In other words, Jesus is asking Peter. He's letting Peter know that there is no limit on forgiveness. There is no expiration date. On forgiveness. We should not ever come to a point to where we said, I've, I've had enough and I'm not going to deal with it anymore. And every now and then we do come to that point, but I'm so glad for the 23rd Psalm where the psalmist says that he restores my soul. Because every now and then when we become angry and, and, and disheveled and, and befuddled with people, we're, we're ready to let them go. But God said, Jesus said, that we have to forgive people many times as they offend us. So try not to put an expiration date on your love. Some people make it hard. But try not to put an expiration date. Or try not to put a limit on your forgiveness. I'm going to skip on down to verse 23 in Matthew. We're going to stay in Matthew chapter 18, but I'm going to skip on down to verse 23 of the Bible. Uh, Jesus now is going to use as an example for Peter so that Peter will uh, understand the ramifications of unforgiveness. And what Jesus did is he pulls out a story of forgiving debt. There was a servant who was called into his master. And the master says, pay me all that you owe me right now, or I will take you and your family and separate you, and I will put each of you in slavery until my debt is paid. And the Bible says that that servant fell down and began to beg the master. Please, Lord, I don't have it right now, but as soon as I get it, I'll be able to give it to you. I'm paraphrasing, of course. And the Bible says that that master forgave that servant, and the number was uh, a large sum of money. It says in the 24th verse that it was 10,000 talents. And this servant is forgiven of his debt, and he gets up off the floor from begging his master. He thanks his master and he walks out. But the Bible shows us that immediately when he walked out, he saw somebody that owed him a debt. And the Bible says that what that person owed him was only a hundred pence. So he was just forgiven millions of dollars and he found somebody that owed him $17. And he says, he grabs him by the neck and tells him, pay me what you owe me right now. And that servant did the same thing, same thing that he had just got done doing to his master. The servant fell on the ground, fell to his knees, began to beg him. But this person who had just been forgiven a lot. He couldn't find it in his heart to forgive his servant a little. Jesus comes and the people got mad because they saw what had just happened. So they went back and told the first master what the servant did. So the first master called that unforgiving servant back in. I'm going to start at verse 31. It says, so when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, and they came and told their Lord all that was done. Verse 32. Then his Lord, after that, called him in again and said unto him, you wicked servant, I forgave you thee all that debt because you asked me to. Verse 33 says, shouldn't you also have had compassion on your fellow servant? Even as I had pity, is the word he uses, I had pity on you. Verse 34, he says that his Lord was wroth with him, was angry with him, and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due him. 
Jesus says in that 35th verse, he says, so likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you. If you from your heart, everybody say from your heart, forgive not every one of his brothers their trespasses. Jesus is letting us know by this parable that forgiveness is a heart thing. Forgiveness is not a mind thing where we have to make a choice to forgive or not. And this is some of our problem with forgiveness is we think that it's our choice to forgive, but I want you to understand that forgiveness is not a mind thing. Forgiveness is not a thought process. Forgiveness is a heart process. Hallelujah. And the word for heart uh, in our Bible is the Greek word suka. P-S-U-C-H-E. Suka. And one of the definitions for the word sukkah, the soul is the direct aftermath of God breathing into the man. The Bible says when God breathed into the breath, in the breath of life into Adam, and that's when Adam became a living sukkah or a living soul. The word heart, matter of fact, the word heart, our English word heart, H-E-A-R-T, is used in our Bible with the 66 books, is used in the Bible over 800 times, and it's only two times in the Old Testament that is actually talking about the vessel that pumps blood throughout our body. The other 798 times is talking about the soul of man. And this word soul comes from the Greek word suka. It is God's gift of life into a person, our soul. It makes us who we are. It gives us our distinct identity. Our soul is our own unique personality code. The soul of man. Our individual personality. Our soul is comprised of our will, our mind, our intellect, our passions, our desires, and our appetites. In other words, your soul is everything about you. The Bible asks in the book of Matthew and in Mark, he says, what does it profit a man to gain the world but lose his sukkah, his soul? In other words, you might get rich, but you're going to lose yourself. And how many people do we know personally who have uh, got educated, went to college, got a degree, got a little money, got a nice house, driving Benzes and Lexuses and Beamers, but they've lost themselves. They don't know who they are. Because the soul of man, the sukkah of man, is where the true humanity lies. Another word for heart in the New Testament is the word cardia, where we get our word cardiac from, or cardiology, the study of the heart. But once again, in the Bible, it's really not talking about the blood, the vessel that pumps blood throughout our body. When the Bible uses the word cardia, it's talking about the soul or the effective center of our being, our moral capacity. My good friend, Pastor Joy Hopkins, always asks the question, whenever we're beginning an endeavor, whenever we're going out into the community, whenever we're going to evangelism, whenever we're looking to gain or have a three o'clock service or whatever it is, Joy Hopkins always asks the question, he says, what's your motive, doc? In other words, why are you doing it? What is the reason in your heart that you're doing it? Are you, are you subliminally trying to gain more money by having the 3 o'clock service? Are you subliminally trying to encourage numbers by going on evangelism? Because some folk won't go on evangelism because none of the people come join their church. But I want you to understand today that that is not the reason that we go out on the street to reach people. We would love if they would come and join our church. But I remember that Paul said one time that one one water, but it's God who gives the increase. You may have went on evangelism three years ago, but for those next three years, that person that you talked to, they have been contemplating and thinking about the word of God all those times, and they have went joined the church, it just ain't yours. But you need to be able to know that God is taking war in heaven, and when we go out and we talk to somebody, they may never come to this church, we may never see them again, but it was us going by that one day planting that seed of God's word into their heart. Somebody else came.
came by a few months later and watered it, but eventually I want you to know that it's God who gives the increase. Somebody shout hallelujah. We got to learn how to depend on God. We got to learn how to depend on the blood of Jesus. We have to learn how to depend on the power of the Holy Ghost. So the cardia is the center of man. It's our moral capacity or our moral compass. It's in our heart and we keep things and reasons and hatred and divisiveness and unforgiveness. We keep all of those things. All of the past hurts, all the past pains that we've been through. We don't wear a t-shirt with it on it. We don't put a bumper stick on our car. And for the most part, we don't go around telling people how we really feel on the inside. We keep it locked up in our hearts. It says that our hearts is what really makes us click. And our heart is where our decisions are made. It establishes who we really the third word is dianoia. Dianoia. The Greek word dianoia. Because you have to realize that in Matthew chapter 22 and that 37th verse, when they tried to trick Jesus and ask him what was the most important commandment, Jesus said this. He said, you must love God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. And I understand, I, I've explained to you already that that word heart comes from the Greek word suka, where we get our word psychological from, or psyche, the way we think. I just explained to you that uh, the Greek word, cardia, is the seed of man. But when Jesus said that we have to love God with all our minds as well, that's the Greek word, dianoia. D-I-A-N-O-I-A, dianoia. And this word dianoia, it gives us the implication of our critical thinking. Literally, what it, it means is thorough reasoning. It incorporates both sides of the matter. And if you're going to be fair, and then one thing I understand about leadership is you can't just listen to what one person say. You have to go listen to what the other person has to say as well. And you have to weigh them both out. And that's what this word diagnosis gives us the implication that it's our critical thinking. It's our thorough reasoning. And it helps us to make critical conclusions. Bible gives us these different words and it was amazing to me that as I studied these words that we must love God with all of our heart, our minds, and our souls. Basically the definitions are the same. It helps us to seriously consider our relationship with God. When you think about, and I teach here at Sabbath Rest, uh, in, in, in our finance classes, I teach that whenever you make an investment, it's a fair question to ask, what is my return? That's a fair question. And I know we've been taught not to question God, but Moses questioned him all the time. I see David questioning him all the time. And I'm investing my life in the God. I'm investing my time in the God. And every now and then, I want to know from God what's my return. And when he found, when he tells me each and every time, he tells me that your return on your investment is love. The return on your investment is grace and mercy. The return on your investment is I make you in your right mind. The return on your investment is that your body has strength in it. The return, hallelujah, God has given us returns on our investment. And anybody out there, I tell you today, try Jesus. The Bible says, if the Lord is not good, try God for a little while. You've been living a life that seems as though you can't get it right. It seems as though the more you try, the more things fall apart. You've been living for 
get it right. I'll tell you today that you need to try God and his family because God is able to give us a fruitful return. Hallelujah. It says that when we live for him that we would get blessed 20 fold, 40 fold, 60 fold, and some even 100 fold. Hallelujah. So just try God. Give him a try. And I'm not saying that in the context that when we come to God that everything is perfect. Matter of fact, what I found out in my Christian life is when you give your life to Jesus through, you give your life to God through Jesus, Yeshua HaMashiach, things begin to fall apart in your life because the devil now is on full attack. You think you're going to live for God? The devil in all of hell says, oh yeah, let's see. So I'm not trying to give you an implication or an indication that once you become saved, that life is going to be hunky-dory, that it's going to be all gravy. Hallelujah. It's going to be hard. But you have someone to walk with you. Hallelujah. Yes, when we're serving God, life will not always be easy. But when life becomes too tumultuous for you to carry on by yourself, as the writer of the poem Footprint says, that God will pick you up and carry you. Hallelujah. Whenever you're walking through the fire, your feet will not get burned because God can pick you up and carry you. When the people of Israel were walking through the Red Sea, they did not get wet because God had them walking across on dry land. I'm telling you, I know about God. I've been living for 57 years on this earth. That's about 20,900 days. And what I have found out is that God is faithful, that God will always rescue us in a time of trouble, that he will never leave us nor leave us alone. He will never leave us nor forsake us, that God is always with us through the power of the Holy Ghost. But all we have to learn how to do is keep our hand in God's hand. Keep on walking with God, children. I want to encourage you today, don't give up on God, because God won't give up on you. You got to learn how to walk with Jesus. Late in the midnight hour, we got to learn how to talk with Jesus. We have to learn how to follow the unction of the Holy Ghost. If God says go left, we got to learn how to go left. If God says go right, we got to learn how to go right. God says be able to listen to the authorities in your life. We got to humble ourselves and follow our authoritative leaders in this land. If the Bible says that it's God who guides the hearts of the kings. And when the people are under a corrupt king, the land suffers. But it says when people are under a righteous king, the people prosper. Hallelujah. But either way, if you're under a good king or a bad king, the Bible says that we have to learn how to follow our authority. Now the only difference between the dianoia, which is our mind, we have to also be careful because the psalmist encouraged us to lead not to our own understanding. Because the mind is also the instrument that can lead us into self-destruction. So as long as we keep our mind, our dying lawyer, stayed on Jesus, stayed on God the Father, led through the unction of the Holy Ghost, don't try to think your way through on your own. It could lead you wrong. Forgiveness shows true love. Forgiveness shows true love. Because John said in his first epistle in 1 John, I think it's in that fourth chapter around the eighth verse, he says, for those of us who do not love, we do not know God because God is love. And this is the true litmus test on if you really love somebody, it can be shown through you forgiving them. Because one thing that I've learned about living on this earth is if you live with somebody or you cohabitate with somebody or you're in a relationship with somebody long enough, they're going to get on your nerve. They're going to offend you. Y'all going to have disagreements. And that's all right. Anybody in relationship with anybody for a long period of time and you think y'all not going to argue and have disagreements, you're living in a fallacy. 
and a fantasy. But forgiveness is a true indicator of our love. I actually feel that love and forgiveness prove one another. If you love me, you'll forgive me, and, and if you forgive me, I know you love me. I'll say that again. If you love me, you'll forgive me, and if you forgive me, I know you love me. I'm going to say that again. If you love me, you'll forgive me, and if you forgive me, I'll know you love me. You need to write that down. If you love me, you'll forgive me, and if you forgive me, I know you love me. Somebody should write that down. The book of James shows us that forgiveness and healing also have a relationship with one another. Let's go to James. Let's go to the book of James, chapter 5. James, chapter 5. I'm hastening on. I'm hastening on. I'm almost done. In James chapter 5, let's start, let's read verse 15, James chapter 5, verse, let's start at verse 15, everybody ready? James chapter 5, James is somewhat of a little book after Hebrews, I'm going to give you a little time because it's a small book and a lot of folks don't read it, so I'm going to give you a little time to find it, and just for historical value and for teaching value, James is the half-brother of our Lord and Savior, Yeshua, Hoshiach, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. They grew up in the house together. And I wanted to tell you that that'll help you read this book differently. And the Bible says in James chapter 5 and 15 verse, it says, And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. Now here we go. And if any have committed sins, they shall be forgiven. You see, so forgiveness and healing have relationship with one another. Because what we found out is a lot of our sicknesses, listen to me carefully, a lot of our sicknesses and diseases and body ailments has to do with unforgiveness. So if you have these pains and the doctors say they can't find nothing wrong, they've, they've done x-rays, they've done MRIs, they've done CAT scans, they've taken blood work, they've given you time off from work, uh, they've given you some pills, they've done everything, but you still can't seem to get over your headache, your neck ache, your back ache, your leg ache, your knee ache, your foot ache. Sometimes, come on, somebody say sometimes. Sometimes it has to do with unforgiveness. And we need to understand that if we want to have a complete healing in Christ, that we have to release people. Because holding on to unforgiveness is you thinking that you're holding somebody in bounds, but you're not. Because the person that you're holding unforgiveness against, they have moved on with their lives, and you are still stuck in what happened in 1989. Come on, tell somebody in your house, let that go. Let us grab God's forgiveness. Therefore, our bodies can't be healed. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 5 real quick. I want us to look at the Beatitudes lastly, and then I'll be finished. In Matthew chapter 5, let's start at verse... Uh, 23 first of all. Now these are beatitudes. He's saying we need to be like this. That's why this section of the Bible in Matthew is called the beatitudes because the first 10 verses, the first 11 verses, it starts off with blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. But the beatitudes don't stop at verse 12. They keep going. The, actually the beatitudes is Matthew chapter 5, 6 and part of chapter 7. So don't think just because the word, the first word blessed in the sentence when that's over, the Beatitudes is over. Let's start at verse 23. Chapter 5, verse 23. The Bible says, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there you remember. Now let's look at the construction of this sentence because I think some of us got it wrong. And if we remember that, we got to beef with somebody. No, that ain't what it says. 
It says that if you get to the altar with your gift and you remember that somebody got ought or beef against you. He says, leave your gift at the altar. Go thy way first. Be reconciled to thy brother. And then come and offer your gift. This is a forgiveness scripture, y'all. And the thing with tithing these days is we, it seems as though we would rather send the money. That's the easy part. But this is an indication, just like the psalmist had wrote in Psalm 66, that if we regard iniquity in our heart that God will not hear our prayers, I want to show you right here what it's really saying. I want to paraphrase this for you. That if you still have iniquity in your heart and you know somebody got beef against you, your gift, your offering and your tithe is not even accepted. He says, leave your gift at the altar. Well, sure, the church will take it if the church will accept it. But this is giving us an indication that God won't. God wants us to give our uh, gifts, the Bible says, with a cheerful heart. It says God loves a cheerful giver. Not somebody who's all confounded and bound up with guilt and unforgiveness and, 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 and strife and, and, and hatred in their hearts. Now let's get down to verse 43 and I'm done. Same chapter, chapter 5. Let's get down to verse 43. And Jesus tells us, tells us he says, you heard that it has been said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Jesus says, but I say unto you, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just as well as the unjust. He says, for if you love them that love you, what reward is it in that? He says, don't even sinners do that? Verse 47, he says, and if you salute your brothers only, what do you do more than everybody else? And do not even the sinners and the publicans do that? Therefore, he says in verse 48, he says, therefore, be ye perfect, mental, uh, oh, I forgot the word, I forgot the Greek word, perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. Hallelujah. He's asking us that we would be teleos. That's the word I'm looking for. And you, when you look up the word perfect in its original language in the Greek, you'll understand it's just like the word love. There's about five words that mean perfect or perfection in, in Hebrew and in Greek. We only have the word perfect. But this word teleos, I, I, can, I can quote two of you for you right off the bat. One is this one, teleos, and the other one is teleu, which means complete perfection. But teleos, this word teleos, hallelujah, it means that we have to be trying our best to keep God's laws. Uh-oh. I didn't mean to say that word law. I know that throws some of y'all off. But if you ain't trying to keep what God said, his whole 66, just not the Ten Commandments, That's part of what's wrong with the church now. We're telling folk, from the pulpit, you don't have to keep God's law. Okay. If Jesus had to live by God's law, and you calling yourself a Christian, which means I'm going to live like Jesus, I'm going to stop right there. Hallelujah. Ain't God all right? I pray to God that this helped you on your forgiveness walk today. So ask your heart as we prepare to come. Ask your heart. What are you hiding? What, what unforgiveness are you hiding? And we want to pray with you and pray for you today. We want to pray for and with those who may not know Jesus as their personal Savior. We want to pray for and with those who need to rededicate. Father, it is in the wonderful, everlasting name of your Son, Yeshua HaMashiach, that we come. God, we love you, we trust you, we want to live for you, Father. And we ask right now, God, that you would forgive us of our sins, faults, and trespasses. We have many, any abominations that we have in our life, any iniquity. Father, we ask that you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, would wash us and make us white as snow. 
So God, there may be someone out there today who does not know your son, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ, as their personal Savior. Father, we want to pray for them first of all. If that's you today, you've never accepted Jesus, we want you to pray with us right now. Repeat after me. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I repent of my sins. I believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord. And I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and that you raised him from the dead. So Father, I thank you for allowing me into your family. For those who need to rededicate, I need you to repeat after me. Father God, it is in the name of Jesus that we come and we thank you that you are forgiven, God. But help us, God, through the power of the Ruach HaKadosh, God, the Holy Spirit, that you would help us to forgive. That our hearts may be clean and light and empty. So if there's anything that we're hiding in our hearts that's keeping us from returning to you, God, we ask that you would remove it right now in Jesus' name. And we thank you for being a forgiving God, that when we repent, God, when we metanoia, God, when we turn around from our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us from all of unrighteousness. We thank you right now. And for the rest of us, I just want to say thank you. Thank you, God, for your word. Because it's through your word that we learn of your plan for humanity. God, it's even through your word that we learn of your plan for the devil, that you plan to eradicate all evil from the earth. When heaven comes, John said he saw a new heaven and a new earth coming down. So God, we thank you. We love you, we trust you, we honor you, we bless you, and we magnify you. It is in the wonderful everlasting name of your son, Yeshua Mashiach, Jesus Christ the Messiah, that we pray. Let all of God's people say amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you real, real good. Love somebody today. Treat one another kind. Amen.